Hello, YA fantasy and adventure fans. My name is Jess, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. You've been listening to Penny Preston and the Raven's Talisman by Armin Pogarian, and today we have the author with us for a virtual interview. Armin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I do appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, we're very excited to have you on. Why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself? Okay, sure. Um, I guess I'm what I would call a uh, continuously recovering but never actually finishing nerd. (laughs) So uh, I'm always trying to move out of nerddom, but I never make it. And if you read if if you read my stories, you'll know you'll see the nerd come through. I had a, an electrical engineering degree, which is kind of a weird thing for a, for an author, and uh, have done some time in the military, where um, I will say I've done some Area 51 projects, Wow! but I can't tell you anything about them. Um, <laughs> I guess it's all leaking out now in the press anyway, so, you know, um, it's all surprising to me, too. And then I did some <laughs> biofuel stuff. And uh, ran, a, ran a business, which we've recently sold, and uh, I've been writing for about 10 years now. Oh, wow. Okay, great. So that means you've written your trilogy in the last 10 years then. That, yes, these are actually the first three books I wrote, the, the Penny Preston series. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. Wow. Well, I mean, it sounds like you are a, a true jack of all trades. I don't know many people who have a, you said, electrical engineering degree and have been in the military, a part of some secret we won't talk about Area 51 projects. Uh, I mean, that is very cool. And and also, we are just big fans of nerds here. So it just sounds like you're a very well-rounded person. Lots of skills. I get it. No need to show off your arm and that's fine. <laughs> um, okay, I, I won't mention the all-American stuff, but let's move on. <laughs> well, I mean, you can mention whatever you want. We're here to hear all of it. I know that I'm so deeply curious because I really found your book very entertaining. Um, You said that these were the first books in your writing. Do you have other books out as well? Yes, I've written, I've got nine books out. Oh my gosh. So I have this series of three. um, And I have a a series of six books that are also fantasy that are... uh, are more straightforward adventure, uh, more high fantasy kind of um, think of James Bond meets Mm. the Hobbit. Oh, uh, interesting. Written written for say uh, 13 year old, roughly middle school type, but, but a good middle school reader. So high school would be interested too, but sure. um, I I do to the extent I do anything religiously, I religiously avoid F bombs and (laughs) overly descriptive things. Um, but other, other than that, you know, sure. Absolutely. Well, nine books in 10 years, I think is, is a feat that I didn't even know was possible. So good for you. That's fantastic. Um, and it sounds like you tend to like, I fantasy, but borderline fantasy, um, writing, what's your connection to that genre? Uh, so a writer, you think a writer loves books and was a big reader. Sure. Um, nope. Really? I was not. No. I had summer reading assignments in second grade. 
I mean, I started to read early. It just didn't hold my attention. I was kind of uh, an outdoor kid. I'd be out from dawn to dusk and longer if you'd let me. Oh, wow. And uh, that changed when I was about 11 years old. Um, for whatever, I, we moved, and so I had lost some friends. And so I kind of became sort of the introverted nerd, stereotypical ter- nerd, and I picked up The Hobbit. Mm. And I read The Hobbit and then went into The Lord of the Rings and then started reading anything that was in that that was similar. You know, I was like really bummed, probably not as bummed as him, but I was really bummed that Tolkien had died and didn't write more stuff. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh. But then I realized lots of people tried to copy him. So there was lots of stuff out there. So I picked up that and I kind of got into that. And the other the other big piece was my children were uh, or are fantasy readers as well. Mm. So as as they were growing up, they were reading these books and they were introducing me to, to the new, the next generation, not just Harry Potter, but all the others as well. Well, then that just begs the question, what do they think of your books? <laughs> well, it, so the, 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 the first Penny Preston book, uh, it, it, it began, I, I wrote 10,000 words in one night down in my basement. Wow. Um, and, and, uh, I, I had no idea it would go anywhere and I had them read, ask them to read it. And, uh, because what the thing that happened to them is they could read much better than their age level, if you will. And I'm not trying to brag or humble brag or anything, but By the books that, that were challenging to them were, um, maybe not age appropriate. Mm. So I wanted to write something that would be age appropriate and challenging and it got to the point where they would come home from school and ask me what I wrote that day. Oh, and, wow. uh, and they would read it and they would comment and they were kids. So they were pretty brutal. <laughs> they were like, no, you can't do this. I remember one character I killed off in one of the books and the outrage was out through the roof. <laughs> uh, it was like, no, you can't do this. I will not talk to you. If you And okay, it's not a problem. I had two, I had two paths. I went down this path to see what I would get. And, and I got the, it was probably the most rebellious my daughter ever was. If you can think <laughs> about that, um, was when I killed off a specific character and she was like, no dad, absolutely not. Wow. Is it in and the Penny Preston series that. That character is a Penny Preston character. Absolutely. Can we and it's a favorite it character. I, I will not, I, no, 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 uh, no telling. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> well, that is so. totally fair and fine. <laughs> we will keep the spoilers to a minimum. I'm very okay with that. But I do find it so interesting that you weren't a big reader before you started writing. So that's really special that you were able to kind of connect with your kids that way. Well, I became one as I got older, as my social skills atrophied. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, my, uh, um, let's just say I read more books than I had dates. How about that? <laughs> I I think many of us readers have been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it all works out. Everything's good. Of course. Uh, yeah. But at the time I, I did, it, it was when I moved, it was just there. I didn't have a social group anymore. Kids sure. that I'd grown up with since I was two years old and, and all of a sudden all these other kids and I moved in the middle of a school year. And, oh, mm-hmm. and if I remember right, they had just gone on a camping trip and I missed the camping trip. So my first day of school, everything related to the camping trip. So I'm like, uh, 
Uh, and they'd all had all these big stories and things. It took a long time to work my way in. Um, but I think it all worked out well. And, uh, well, it I'm brought ha- you I'm happy here. The way it ended. <laughs> well, that's yeah. good. It <laughs> brought you to creating these great books. So it obviously worked out very well in the end. You mentioned that you had, or had, uh, a, a young daughter at the time that you were writing the books. Uh, did you inspire Penny in any way off of her or did you have any inspiration from your real life in your books? There, there's, there's, uh, I, I think any writer who says that there's not, not something from their life in their books is um, fooling themselves or lying. Take your pick. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to be critical or mean to them, but unless you're writing, if you're writing fiction, it's always got to have some basis in something that you understand and it's in your life. And yeah, I kind of, I wouldn't say Penny is my daughter, but I would say there are aspects of my daughter and some of the way my daughter spoke and speaks mm. that worked their way into the Penny character. And certainly uh, the swimming, there's swimming in the book. Uh, Penny's a swimmer and a, a very smart person. And those two things both describe my daughter. Mm. Um, and all my kids swam at the time. So, and I'm a, I'm also a part-time swim coach. So, and I swam through college and everything. So I, I wanted to put that in as a way to sort of, when you're writing fantastic and, and, and fantasy and things that's kind of out there, how are you grounding it to the real world? So I chose some school type activities, admittedly nerdy ones (laughs) and some swimming activities. So we can see how Penny relates to the real world and how she relates to the, uh, the fantasy world or the, the world that everybody else isn't aware of. Sure. Well, you and, write what you know. And I yeah. would also say sort of my background in the classified world where I couldn't talk about anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that plays into Penny can't tell anybody what's going on. Sure. Um, so I had a lot of experience in, in, um, you know, Oh, Armin. Yeah. I was in the military. Armin's not in uniform today. He must be doing something secret squirrel today. Cause he's, He's in civilian clothes. What's going on? Mm. It was all weird, but you know, those kinds, there's lots of, lots of things. Um, I do my best not to put anybody specifically in the book. Sure. But there are um, maybe a first name with a different last name (laughs) kind of thing. Okay. Uh, Or a different spelling of a name. Sure. Uh, Yeah. Sure. So, so definitely drawing inspiration there. Oh, a- a- ab- absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I want to backtrack a little bit because you said you j- inspiration h- hit one night and um, that you wrote 10,000 words in one sitting uh, and then passed it on to your kids. Was that the beginning of Penny Preston and the Raven Stylesman or was that a random segment in the middle? What was the segment that got your kids hooked on your book? I think if you want real honesty, I think most of those words aren't in the current story. <laughs> I think most of those met the editor's pen um, and not in a positive way. Mm. Uh, maybe a thousand of those words are in and some of them, some of them are the very beginning, the, the very beginning sequence, although that sequence got moved for a little dramatic effect. Um, and and the, the name of the town and Penny's name those things um, were there. Her introduction and her introduction to her best friend, Duncan, were all there and pretty close to how they are. Okay. It's not as polished. So yeah, I, I would say of those 10K-ish words, 
if there's 1500 left, that's probably pretty generous of me. <laughs> I think there's still 1500 left. Yeah. Yeah. I just sitting in my chair, even, which I'm not very deeply involved in the editing process. And I haven't been with CamCat long enough to see one of the books that came across my desk as just a manuscript fully become a published work of art. But um, I've just heard so many things about how different a book is from start to finish. So it's so interesting to hear from the author's perspective, you know, oh, well, of the 10,000, there are maybe 1,500 left. I I think the the initial manuscript was 121,000 words. Wow. That book's about 80. Wow. Okay. So uh, even, even, and I had done some editing myself. So about, uh, excuse me, about 40,000 words, about a third of the book was cut. And I do uh, make sure I do typically write an outline of the book in advance. Um, I don't necessarily adhere to it, but it's a good, it it gives me some structure so that I don't wander too far. And um, some of those big sections don't get used, but they may show up in the, in a sequel Mm, in another book. So I, I try not to throw away the ideas um, just because they don't work in that. It's like a, a musician who makes a record. They may not like all the songs they record, but they, they for some reason that rhythm or that melody sits in their head and they, it, they keep it and it comes back to them in a, a, a later song. Sure. Similar things. Yeah. Similar things. I understand that. That's so. very cool. Um, I was actually... That reminds me of the question that I was going to ask you next about your writing process. So, you know, it sounds like some combination of, oh, I have inspiration right now. I'm going to write this down. And also, as you said, planning out what you're going to do. Would you consider yourself more of a a planner or a pantser? Penny Preston series was definitely a very slim plan and very long on pants. (laughs) Uh, Very very much pants. Um, Like a skinny jean. And. (laughs) <laughs> well, not for me, but uh, maybe for one leg. But the um, I, I think the ending is not the ending that I had had imagined at the beginning. Oh. Um, I did borrow elements of the ending for other books. Uh, and I think one of the things I did, which I now recognize uh, as an error, but I've done this on all the nine books I've written. Um, I would set a goal of words per day. Okay. And I would write every day. So um, being an, an unrecovered nerd, I'm very good at counting. So is, so is <laughs> word. But, you know, it's a thousand words a day. And um, a lot of those thousand words were not particularly good. And, and in the latest book I wrote, uh, some editors um, were uh, honest <laughs> about how how dense some of that some of that was and i think now at this point i should probably abandon that approach but when i wrote these books the approach was um get it all out and then trim later sure was the, was the idea the a thousand words per night thing sounds similar to the nano challenge too that i know a lot of people um participate in just to put pen to paper so that's really yeah, great there, that that's what worked people- for you yeah, I, I um, being a contrarian, uh, I never do that in November. <laughs> uh, uh, but 
I, I did see some um, people in the independent writing community that were really into that. And some people that I, that I knew, you know, online reasonably well, who, who wrote quite, quite well in, in writing books in, in that month. And that did sort of inform the idea that this wasn't crazy. This was a reasonable thing to do. As I said, I now think a, a better process would be um, recognize when you're in the mood and, and hit it then. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're not feeling inspired, then what's the point? You're not probably going to put out your best work then. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I've certainly done that, but not in this series. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. This was just pure inspiration, pure artistry flowing from head through your fingertips, I'm sure, <laughs> from start to finish. Um, well, Again, I feel like this is so great because I have my list of questions that I wanted to ask you. And I feel like every time you give an answer, it leads me directly into my next question. So what was the hardest scene for you to write? Because it does seem like there was a good amount of refining and finding inspiration and writing when the timing felt right and pantsing, if you will. Some people would say like the action and battle scenes were, were those are actually kind of easier. Sure. To me. Because I think of the story as what the actions are going to be. It's the connecting tissue that can be difficult. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily a specific scene. Uh, it's writing some of the background. As I said, I want to ground Penny in her small town. I want to do some of that, but I, I don't want to just come out and tell you. I want to do it organically. What's happening? Sure. You know, inform you about what her little town is, what her life is like other than this. And you do that through the eyes of the other characters and her interactions with her family. And the hardest part is uh, uh, in that area is knowing which stuff to keep. Sure. Because uh, as an author, um, you fall in love with every word you write. Mm. And so when it comes time to cut stuff, and, and sometimes you have to cut the entire scene. Mm. Um, and there was one that I, I do remember discussing and, and wanting to keep was an interaction with her father that I just didn't want to cut out. Mm. And it, uh, I'll be honest, it doesn't, other than informing you of her relationship with her father and grounding her a little, it doesn't particularly move the story. I put a couple hooks in it so that the editors would let me keep it. Um, <laughs> so I would actually argue that the the writing wasn't hard. It was getting to keep the parts I liked or, or some parts <laughs> that I liked. Sure. And um, that, 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 gets to, that can be difficult. Yeah, I feel like again, as someone who is not an author and not very deeply involved with the actual process of getting a book from manuscript to publish finished product, um, you, you don't realize those kinds of things. And I've heard a lot of authors say, oh, this was the hardest scene to write, but not, oh, it wasn't that it was hard to write. It was that I would have to write it in a way that you know, nobody could argue that this belongs in the story. That's really fascinating. <laughs> How, how can you keep, because some things, um, some things are things that I really like and, um, I, I want to, I want to, I have to find, they, they have to find a way to keep them in the story sure. because they're important to me and they're important to, um, who I think the audience is, but editors are kind of ruthless, really. They, um, like if it doesn't move the plot, doesn't develop the characters, why is it here? Mm. Fair, but sometimes <laughs> you need a little, you need some atmosphere. I can't just, it just can't be all straight line stuff. Sure. Um, and 
So some of it also I put in there as a little red herrings here and there, you know, to lead people astray. Absolutely. Uh, so I always yeah, find that, those very fun. That's and the the other one was I put some Easter eggs in there that are really nerdy things. Um, <laughs> and and at the risk of telling people what they are, that the the one is every number in the books in the whole series that's where it wouldn't be awkward. Every number is a prime number. I was wondering, okay, as I was going through, I wasn't sure if I was just making something up in my head, but as I was reading it, I thought, oh, another prime number, another prime number. And that was just me thinking I was being like, you know, overly observant on something that was just not important. But it's so funny to hear that you put that in intentionally. I put it in absolutely intentionally and some of it has to do with just upping the nerd level and the, uh, because (laughs) you know, the the story really is about Arthurian legend um, intermingling with string theory Mm -hmm. and to make that work. um, Let's be honest. There aren't a lot of 13 year olds that are string theory experts or quantum mechanics people. (laughs) Um, They're probably a lot more into the Arthurian side. Sure. So to get some of the, weird aspects of, of the science, um, something like prime numbers is, is a way to, oh, wait, that number is strange. No, I mean, it wouldn't be all the time. Sure. Um, but wherever I thought it wasn't too awkward, I put a prime number in. I think in the second book, there's a section where there's uh, a number over 2 million. So I had to come up with a prime number that was over 2 million. Um <laughs> And that was, uh, well, I, it, it, I didn't have to figure it out myself, but, uh, <laughs> you just looked up prime number over was... 2 million. <laughs> and, and it also had the jive, uh, not to ruin it, but if I remember correctly, it's the number of blocks that are in, um, the great P- great pyramid of Giza. Mm. So, okay. um, it had to be close to the real number, but it had to be a prime number. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm so curious, just, you know, you brought up Penny is an eighth grader. She's 13 years old. And it sounds like also you were writing something that you wanted to appeal to your kids. But what made you write um, this as a, a middle grader? Well, that was their age when I started. Sadly, it wasn't their age when I finished. Um, well, they were they were reading this kind of thing. Um, you know, my, my son would, when he was like seven, would pick up a Hardy Boys book and read it in an hour and a half. And my daughter would, has read Harry Potter over 20 times. Oh my gosh. And she's, she's read it in French and she's read it in English. And, um, they would read, they were, they were the opposite of me. They were readers Mm -hmm. and they were really into it. Um, but the books that were aiming for their age were not interesting to them. Mm. They were reading the older books. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to write a book that had the intellectual heft of the older books, but was safe's the wrong word. Cause no author wants, no creative person wants to be told they're safe. Sure. Of um, <laughs> but you know, it wasn't objectionable, you know? Sure. Uh, I, so and and they love fantasy. So I figured it was okay. I could do that. I, I could do that. And, and, you know, as far as like, so the two things were not having, I do have to me, there's like three sort of things that happen to you in, uh, in writing that are, that you, where you can cross a line. Um, 
action sequences, descriptions of battles. I, I think I do that without being overtly gory, um, but they are still descriptive. You can get a mind's image of what's happening when Simon's in a battle or when Penny's doing something. Um, I avoided all any offensive language. Um, I mean, I, I know it's become quite common to drop F-bombs. Uh, I coach swimming and 13-year-old girls are dropping <laughs> F-bombs. And I'm like, uh, let, let's calm down. There's, you know, uh, <laughs> and and there's no real, because the kids are underage, I don't depict, it's not a book about drinking or alcohol or smoking sure. or any of that. None of that's there. And then obviously the the one that does happen that, that that's probably, you know, spoiler if you're out there, there's no romance really in the book. Right. Um, not, nothing, nothing. Um, there's a, a free romance, if you will. Um, <laughs> so those are those things I had to dance around a little bit. Sure. And um, and let's be honest, my dating life was not going to be anything I could mine for really good teen <laughs> romance. So uh, it, that part was kind of easy. I said, well, what did I do? Oh, I did nothing. Well, that's easy. I can do that. <laughs> well, that's easy. I can write about that. <laughs> Sure, sure. That there's one of those questions where you know I inform myself about. Oh, what was it like when you were 13 with with uh, your dating life? Pretty much nothing. <laughs> so it was easy. That's very funny. That's great. Uh, well, it is so funny to and and very fun and funny and also just I thought very well done how you were able to kind of enter into the mindset of these young kids and. Uh, I thought that it was just very cool and interesting to me that you would choose them as the, uh, I mean, the protagonists of your story, you know, these, these kids and arguably, you know, people you might not even, I mean, at least I know I wouldn't even be able to enter their mindset as clearly as I feel like you were able to. So I just thought that was so interesting that you chose them as the subjects of your story. It, it helps if you're still, if you never grew up, you know, if you're still like a little 13 year old kid. So, and it all, in fairness, it also helps. I am, uh, because I coach swimming, I coach kids that are 12 to 18 years old. Sure. You probably have so a lot of interactions with them. I, I see, right. I have, I, I see a lot of them and, um, they actually interact with me much, much differently than they do with most adults because I'm a coach mm, sure. and, you know, they're on a first name basis with me and they're, uh, but at the same time, they're kind of scared of me, but they're, <laughs> they're not, and they want to listen and, you know, it's there, you can watch and I see them from when they're 12 to when they're 18. So I see the changes they make, um, over that time. And, um, so that helped too, between my kids, which, you know, it's hard to do things all based on your own kids because of your connection, sure, um, as a your biases and whatnot, of course, but seeing the other, the other kids, uh, that was helpful. And, uh, you know, and, and once again, um, like, like most men, my age, we're kind of in regression. So I'm heading back into my preteen years now. So, you know, sure. So just really not a stretch for you at all. <laughs> yeah. You know, if anything, you know, I maybe had to smarten myself up a bit, you know, uh, for kids these days, you know, <laughs> I, that's true. Honestly, I even, you know, i still decently young and feel like constantly my 16 year old cousin is telling me things that are so far out of my reach and understanding. And it's very wild to me still to think how grown up these kids think they are. Yeah. I, I, 
I, I think their their um, their unfettered access to information is good and bad, and and um, I do see some of them who honestly just can't handle. They're not ready for some of it, and you you see some of them, uh, some of the issues that they have. Uh, you know, I was very very blessed that my kids didn't really have any big issues, but you see others that do. Sure. And and you know you you lose kids from the team, and you under you know why. Mm. Um, it's not necessarily always for good reason. Mm. I didn't want to br- I didn't want to bring any of that you know Debbie Downer stuff into the into the story. There are some people that aren't great people, but. Um, I, in the end, I didn't want to be, um, you know, writing a hard, biting, critical thing about how bad kids are today because, you know, get off of my lawn. You know, I'm not that grandpa <laughs> yet, but uh, that kind of thing. Sure. Well, and I think that if anything, a lot of the overtone of these is very fun and hopeful and, you know, it's the sense of adventure and also magic and, and all of the things that I think make a fun fantasy story a great read. So. I think that those definitely, you know, came through the most in your story. Good. Good. That, that was the goal. <laughs> to be po- I, I think, I think if, if as an author, it might, it might strike headlines and it might be a little more uh, in vogue to be negative and to be harsh and to be super critical or whatever. I mean, we all know the negative headline gets more clicks than the positive one. Mm. Um, but I don't want to be that person. Sure. I want to be, I want to be a positive person. That doesn't mean bad things don't happen because that's life. Of course. Yeah. But I want to be a overall positive person. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great life motto. I am going to switch gears a little bit. Um, because we have all been listening to the audiobook, which I'm sure is very different from how your kids experienced your story and also how just you as a writer, you know, it sounds like you were someone who writes versus, you know, listens to audiobooks or reads visually versus listening to audiobooks. Um, did you listen to your own audiobooks? What was that experience like for you? So I did. Okay. Um, uh, we, we travel a decent amount and uh, between taking kids to college or, sure. or traveling around. When we owned a business, we couldn't really fly anywhere. We had to be relatively close, but we did some traveling. Uh, drive long drives, I guess mm. is the point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I we had been audiobooks for the kids mm. uh, back when they were on CDs, and you get them from the library and you pop them in. Sure, uh, I know it's not that way anymore. Uh, but we, um, yeah, we did do we did do the books, and they, um, I really like the uh, narrator that Camcat chose. Um, I have no idea if I'd have chosen that narrator. Mm. I, I will tell you just in, in all honesty, after the CamCat books and listening to her, she did contact me directly and ask me about some things because there's some Welsh in the book. She mm. wanted to make sure some of the pronunciations were clean. Um, I've read some reviews where they say she can't quite get the Welsh accent. She gets it as a off-brand British accent. I'm like, you know, good thing there's not that many Welsh people. but. Um, <laughs> She, uh, I thought she did a fantastic job. I, I, I liked, I liked all of her, her voices and her intonation so much so that, um, my other series, uh, the other six books, um, she's done two of them for me so far. Oh, wow. Oh, very cool. 
So, so I, I, I liked her. Um, I liked working with her and I liked her approach and the way she's very, uh, I I think it's better than I would have imagined. Oh, that's so great. Wow. Very cool. And and I think it's great that we had a woman do the voices. um, Particularly since a lot of the book is really from Penny's perspective. So I was happy with that too. I don't know if that was done by design or whatever, um, but I like it. Yeah, I have noticed that Cam Cat is very intentional when they're choosing their narrators and want to kind of stay in line with what they think is the most in line with the narration. So I uh, they nailed this one. That's so great. Whoever made that call at Cam Cat nailed it. <laughs> um. Well, all right. We have all three of the Penny Preston um, books here, the Misaligned Trilogy. What would you like? us to know about them um about your other six books as well um what what uh what would you like to share with us about them i think um i'll be honest when i wrote the books i was not thinking of a series um but i wanted to leave the opening for one and i think they they are they do not stand alone the the water the misaligned books don't stand alone they do build on each other mm-hmm. and um, I at least think that they are different um, some people don't particularly like the difference uh, <laughs> if you if you love the first book the second book will be different than the first book um, it it uh, introduces some new characters and, and and goes a little different it does a little more uh, traveling into the past and that is a direct uh, directly related to the feedback I received as I was writing it was um, some of the, some of the scenes in the past were some of the favorite scenes. And I was trying to build on that under underpin some of the, one of the favorite characters, I don't want to ruin it, but one of the favorite characters in the book for people is Simon. Um, of course. <laughs> the, uh, the cat. Penny's, Penny's yeah. cat. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, I, I was trying to underpin his creation story a little bit in the second book. And then the third book is actually probably my favorite uh, of the books. It's the one um, that I'm, I'm most proud of, at least how it turned out. Uh, and um, I really like the flow of that one. Is, is, Amazing. So it, my, my thing would be if, if, if you have any thoughts about string theory or the real origins of Arthurian legend, I mean, King Arthur's story has been done what? I don't know. I could probably name a dozen times off the top of my head, and I'm sure I'm barely scratching the surface. I want if you are looking at an alternate take of of King Arthur, where King Arthur's a girl, where it's in upstate New York, and the magic is based on string theory. This is the book for you. I realize I just probably got three people to read it, but um, <laughs> you know that that's what that is about. Whereas when I wrote the Warders, which is the other series, it's much lighter. Mm. It's it's really. Um, an adventure story in a high fantasy setting. Everything's pretty classic. There's minor takes, uh, you know, my differences on what a, what a dwarf does or my take on how magic works. Um, but they they can be read out of order if you want to, they can be read. They're meant, they, they're better in order, but they can be read out of order. And they're the light beach read kind of thing. Um, you're, you're not going to have to strain your brain cells on those. Um, <laughs> At least they're not, you're not supposed to, if you are, you're doing something wrong. Sure. Uh, but, 
you know, the, yeah. Oh no, I was just going to say, I think that a slightly more challenging read can be really fun. And and I, you had said earlier that you wanted to write something that kind of was for a younger audience, but was for those who were seeking a more challenging read. So I think that that's really interesting. And to your other point before, um, if you liked one book, the other book is very different and the next is even more different than that. You would hope that it's not just, you know, rinse and repeat each time. You want some variety. You want to it, to it, have some growth and some change in the story and in the characters. So I appreciate that kind of writing personally anyway. It's 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 not I, I wasn't good enough to have a formula or confident enough to have a formula <laughs> when I wrote the books. Some of the secondary characters, you know, when you go through the process, they got much bigger parts than they would have otherwise got. I'm, I'm thinking uh, you, you just meet one of them in the first book, the deputy, and um, he gets a bigger role. And uh, the amount of research you had I had to do in some of these was um, uh, was crazy. Uh, for For like one line, I would do hours of research for what turned out to be one paragraph or something. Cause I'd want to make sure uh, that I didn't mess something up. And uh, the uh, particularly the Welsh was tough. Mm. Um, and and uh, I even, I couldn't find one. So I wrote my own Welsh pronunciation guide. So if there are any Welsh folks and they read the beginning of the book and they, <laughs> they think this pronunciation guide is, uh, you know, trash. Well, um, uh, write to me and, and and I'll talk to CamCat about fixing it. But sure, <laughs> uh, it, I I did have someone look at it and and um, there there was one error in the initial book. Uh, I used the wrong kind of spirit. I used alcoholic spirit for ghost. Oh. I really wanted spirit ghost, not spirit alcohol. <laughs> so I, I that was a, that was a little weird thing that came up. That's very but, interesting. Um, it was a lot of fun writing the books and. Um, you know, if you're going to ask me, what would I do if, uh, as far as if it were made into a movie, I'd probably do a backflip or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I'd mean, pretty excited. that would be a very exciting prospect. It is so funny. I'm so glad that you brought up some of the research that you did, because usually that's one of my questions. I must have just missed it today on my list. But OK, so you did some research on Welsh pronunciation and I assume string theory and some legends and magical aspects as well. Um, yeah. Is there more that you did research on for this? Oh, yeah. I In the first book, there's a little bit. I had to go research Hammurabi's Code mm. um, and Mesopotamian society. And, and uh, I even did some recipe research about how you might recreate a Mesopotamian meal. Um, in the second book, I did a bunch of early Egyptian stuff. And I read through a whole bunch of alternative Atlantis theories to put some things together. Uh, some wow. theories about why, how the Sahara desert used to be a forest and why isn't it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I was very happy that I worked Boudicca into the third book, um, <laughs> from the Celtic, uh, stuff and found a way to get her into it, um, in one of the flashbacks. Um, yeah, there was a lot. The string theory I, is probably much less than the history, honestly. Um, because it's it's pretty light touch on the string theory, uh, you know. We I talk about m brains and the number of dimensions, but that's really sure. we don't get much deeper than that. And it comes up a couple times. It's just meant to be a a ground floor so that 
well, how's this magic work? Well, it's really not magic. It's higher dimensional beings. And the string theory predicts that there are other dimensions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where it comes from. Uh, although in reality, I think string theory suggests that they would be subdimensions and there's nothing there. But, you know, it's fiction. So. Wow. Well, as someone who is zero concept of string theory and, you know, as a whole, obviously, also very obviously, because who does? Um, but uh, I, I mean, I found the the little hints of it, the pieces of it very interesting and comprehensible for someone, again, who very far out of my realm of understanding. <laughs> I, I think I caught a break there because that uh, television show, the big bang theory was mm-hmm. kind of popular and every now and then they would, their, their techno babble was pretty spot on the stuff that they would say. Sure. And so I think, I think people got used to having that. And that, that wasn't the only show, but I think those kinds of ideas were appearing in movies and, and TV programs at the time this was being written. So it's not, um, as inaccessible as it would have been to say, if you'd written this in the nineties. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Armin, we are uh, approaching the end, but not quite there yet. Um, Before we get there, I was just wondering what, as a a person who um, didn't used to read, but now is a big reader, it sounds like, what are you reading right now? Well, I just finished, um, I, it was one of the books that I turned to, one of the authors I turned to as a, a post-Tolkien was a guy named Raymond Feist. Mm. And he writes, uh, he's got this whole world, Midkemia, and he writes, uh, there's some characters who are through the whole thing, but it's a history of several generations and it's magic. And um, uh, this last one actually hit close to home. These last books, I'm like, wow, he has uh, black holes and alternate realities and hmm. But he had, so I read that, I just finished that book. My son really loved that. And I just finished that one. And I'm also reading a book. Um, I put it down to read this fiction book and I just picked it back up. I should have brought it down here with me. It's a, uh, it's this guy who answers science questions. Like what would happen if you throw a baseball at the speed of light? Mm. Or, um, now, they're all really science and tech, but he goes into technical technical things about what happens, and he, his stuff is pretty accurate. Uh, and they're all short little vignettes, like they're little three four page things, like they could be a blog post. As far he may have blogged these. Oh wow! Um, and and then he put a compendium together. It's probably about a ten or fifteen year old book. I think it's uh, right around two thousand seven or eight. And I just found it laying around the house, and I my wife read it. I've been. Honestly, the book I want to read is this book called The Grid, hmm. um, which uh, my wife is currently reading, and, and we don't share books well, so <laughs> I have to wait for her to finish. And sure. the, the Grid is all about um, what we need to do to make our electric grid, um, really, honestly, to bring it into the 21st century, much less to prepare it for all of these things we're talking about with EVs and mm-hmm. no more gas stoves and all those things. Right. I mean, not to get political, those things are... Going all electrical, um, it's one thing to say we have to do it. As an electrical engineer, I'm pretty aware that we can tell people to do it and we can make them do it, but we don't have the ability to support that. And a better, it would be really my public service announcement, we should be spending money to, uh, if we're going to spend money on on um, saving the environment, one of the best places to spend it would be to fix our electrical grid so that we can use all this green power that we're going to make. We're going to make it. We need to be able to get it where it's needed. 
And um, we're doing a lot of things that are hurting that right now. Sure. It's, it's not sexy. <laughs> it's not it's not exciting to invest in, oh, we, we upgraded a, a transmission line. It's much cooler to say, we built a solar power plant. Sure. It puts out 1.61 gigawatts. It could power the car from back to the future. You're like, <laughs> but no one can plug into it, <laughs> you know? So yeah, I, I want to read that book to, to see if what, what I suspect is true is true. Sure. Yeah. Well, someone who has a little bit of a personal stake in, uh, in green energy, my significant other is, uh, he's a green energy consultant. So, uh, <laughs> I know just the very surface level of some of the things you're talking about. And I know that it's something that he deals with every day. So, I imagine well, a, that book would be massively doing that. Yeah. Massively I, I, fascinating. A, a lot of him. us just hear. Yeah. It, it, the, I'm sure he's read the book. It's probably a bit dated by now, but um, you know, those are the, whenever you try and make changes, it's the unforeseen consequences that you really have to be prepared for. Yes. And I think I've tried and put some of that in the book. Excuse me. Some of the unforeseen consequences of think of actions. Sure. Uh, that, that people have had. Definitely. And um you just have to, I don't know. Anyway, so that, that's what I'm punches. reading. I'm, I, I, tend to, I tend to read both. Fiction, I, I alternate between a fiction book and and uh, some nonfiction. Sure. Well, I tend to like that style as well, so I understand that. Um, well, Armin, my last question for you before we let you go is where can our audience find you? Plug yourself. <laughs> oh, um, well, let's see. We don't want you my wife wouldn't want you hanging around the front yard, so you better leave that out. But um, that's fair. I do have a a website, armandpugarian.com. And on there, I feature things about books, uh, other authors. And I write a uh, a monthly blog. It used to be weekly. It's called Map Monday. Mm. Uh, I find a free use map. And then I write uh, three to 500 words about the map. They can be any kind of random stuff. Uh, they used to come out every Monday. Now they come out the first Monday of the month. Mm. Um, I do things about books. Uh, there's a couple tutorials on how to make your own map. If you're a fantasy writer, that kind of thing. Sure. I have a Facebook page. Um, I do have an Instagram that's just Armin Poe, but it's, uh, honestly, it's not a lot. It's not very well organized towards writing. You'll see, uh, my interest in photography on, oh. on my Instagram page. Um, mostly flowers and, and nature scenes with an occasional, uh, picture of people I know, but I, I mostly post pictures of flowers and, uh, and senior, you know, I'm not a great photographer and you'll see why if you look at that, <laughs> but I think the, the web page, or if you're uh, of a certain age and Facebook is your thing, I have a Facebook author page as well. Oh, great. But the, the website is probably my best, best way to reach me. Well, all of that is very good to know. Thank you so much, Armin, for joining us. I'm really, really glad you were able to come on. Well, thank you for inviting me. You've been very pleasant and very, very indulgent. I appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. And likewise, you've been pleasant as well. And to our listeners at home, you can find the Misaligned Trilogy and specifically Penny Preston and the Raven's Talisman on our website, camcatbooks.com in audiobook, ebook, and print formats, or you can find it wherever books are sold. You can listen to CamCat Unwrapped on all major podcast platforms or watch us on our YouTube channel. And make sure you follow us on social media at CamCat Books. Thank you all so much for tuning in and unwrapping another one of our books to live in with me. My name is Jess, and I will see you all next time here on CamCat Unwrapped.